In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the And welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England Zone Van Helsink. And with me all the way from across the pond is the bright and good-looking Mr. Stephen Parson. Good evening, Ron. How are you? You have no idea what I'm going to say, do you? <laughs> None whatsoever. It's entirely... Uh, it's deep breath and wait and see what wrong... <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I have no clue what's coming out of my mouth half the time either. <laughs> <laughs> well, it should be the frozen pond tonight. We're in the what? middle of, a, of an, an unseasonable icy spell over here in the UK. Oh, it's been, it's been very warm here. So why were you talking about getting your central heating boiler furnace fixed? Because it died. Ah, I, th- I thought you were suffering from, a, from um, you know, Christmassy weather and getting ready for the end of the world next week. No, yeah, I mean, we're, go- we're probably going to touch on that a little bit. But, uh, no, we're going to... Uh, nope, nope, my... Uh, uh, in, in addition to a root canal I had to do, I had to uh, also... Uh, replace my uh, furnace, which had a big crack in it, so that was not a good thing. And so, uh, and also, I've redone my kitchen as well. I'm in the process, so, yeah, I've been a busy, busy boy. And, yeah, I've been looking at the photos on, uh, was it Facebook? You <laughs> Looking like the Grinch that stole Christmas. Yeah, you know, that's interesting. We did, uh, last Saturday night, um... I teamed up with Jeff Belanger and Spooky South Coast, and we did a special uh, paranormal party for uh, Toys for Tots. And it basically, it was free. You just had to bring in a unwrapped toy, which they give to uh, you know less uh, fortunate children. So it was a cool thing. We collected a lot of toys, had a lot of fun, as you can tell from the pictures. And by the way, if anybody wants to uh, friend me, uh, Ronald Kolick on uh, Facebook, or you can join our page, which is Ghost Chronicles International. Okay, I was just watching the chat rooms when you did that, uh, when you were, whilst you were talking, and uh, somebody popped in, somebody said hi, and then this, and the person who popped in said, I've just realised today's Tuesday and I need to be here tomorrow. So is that precognition, retrocognition, or is it all gone to pieces cognition for that poor girl? I just realised today is Tuesday and I need to be <laughs> here tomorrow. <laughs> 
seen. I've no idea. <laughs> wow. Well, um, we better we better explain to people that uh, um, Cal is off doing important war work again tonight, selling war really? bonds. So he's one hell of, a, hell of a war you've got going on there, evidently. Got a hell of a what? Sorry, a hell of a war. war? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he, he, he's he's selling war bonds. So uh, him and Norrie are dressed up as the Andrews sisters, and they're going from uh, work. Uh, it's like workers' playtime. They go to aircraft factories and tank factories selling war bonds. Uh, so we haven't got Cal tonight, um, but what I thought would be quite cool... But then cool again, when do we have Cal? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> what would be quite cool, I think, would be um, to field in some questions from Throw It Open, because if the world ends next week, could actually be our last show. Well, could be, but, you know, I mean, I actually, uh, I have another show, Ghost Chronicles Morning Edition, which is at 11 o'clock in the morning, and uh, I had Charmin Steve Wilson on from the Spirit Light Network, and he was uh, talking that he was going to have a end-of-the-world party at his sacred place, so there you go. I've done it a different way. I just maxed out the credit card. I thought, if the world's <laughs> going to end, I'm just going to take everybody else's money with me. So you don't think I should have gotten my uh, heating unit fixed then, evidently, huh? I'd have waited a week if I were you. You might not need it. It might just get hot enough. Depending, well, it depends on which scenario, doesn't it? Because um, some say it's the end of one era and the beginning of another. Some say that it's just down to the fact that the archaeologists didn't find the next page of the Mayan calendar. That's what I said. Uh, on the back um, of it, they didn't turn it around. Yeah, just turn it over. Look at the other side. Um, Others say that there's a big planetary alignment and that we're going to line up with a big black hole in the centre of the universe. And there are a whole heap of wacky ideas. But we'll all find out for certain a week on Friday, won't we? Do you know how many uh, end of the worlds I have lived through? Um, probably one or two more than me. But I was, I was going through. We had the big millennium one. And of course, oh, yeah, was that was one. huge. There was well, that was all the aeroplanes were going to fall out the sky. Every computer would stop working. Uh, we all got note letters through our door from the British government, warning us about all of the precautions we should take. Did you really? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I wasn't aware of that we, we, you know, nothing happened here. Virtually a couple of, you know, I didn't realize it. What, what, what type of precautions were they looking at you to we, do? We, um, we had all. Uh, we all had. Um, I mean, there were government advertisements on the television and radio. We had uh, leaflets through the door telling us about the Millennium Bug and what we should do, and that we shouldn't worry because there were all sorts of precautions in place, and the government would save us. Um, but that we should, you know, turn off things and not worry if the phone stopped working, and and nothing happened, of course. Um, there's been... I've lost count how many end of the world there's been. Right. Uh, of course, you could have been, uh, you know, you could have been one of those who were members of Heaven's Gate, and uh, yeah, that, was kind yeah. of a, that was kind of a shame, you know. It's bad enough well, they was... castrated, castrated themselves, but then they all took the, uh, the uh, Kool-Aid and uh, nothing happened, so, hey. Although... Um... Somebody put forward a theory recently that um, actually the world did end and that we're all living now in an altered dimension. 
Um, but I, what I'm looking forward to most is December the 22nd because I want to see all of these prophets of doom um, see what they come up with next by way of getting getting out of it with some credibility. Um, because I've been watching the, some of the documentaries that have been shown on British television about the, the, the end of the world and there's some people sitting in bunkers and they've stocked up with, you know... I mean, why would Drinkies. you sit in a bunker stocked up with a year's supply of food for your family? Twinkies, you've got to have a year's supply of Twinkies because Twinkies are no longer made. Yeah, but I mean, there's no point in sitting in the bunker if the world's going to end, is there? <laughs> well, it depends what you mean by world ending. Well, yeah, there were all sorts of, as I said, there were all sorts of crazy ideas. So I, America is the home of the survivalist, isn't it? You know, you have, yeah, uh, you have these commercial organizations building giant, you know, bunkers that you can put under your front yeah. lawn. Little uh, uh, igloos and stuff, yeah. yeah but I mean, we don't have any of that over here. Yeah, you know, be honest with you, this goes all the way back to when I was in high school in the sixties, and uh, we we would uh, we look duck and cover was one of the things because nuclear war was a big thing, and people built their own uh, bomb shelters back then. So uh, it, you know, it's not new to me. This is this has been around for years and years and years. Well, I'm not that much younger than you, and I do remember the... Um, I'm too young to remember the Cuban Missile Crisis, although I was around. Um, mm-hmm. But I do remember the duck and cover, and I do remember the British response. We had adverts, uh, you know, should the air raid warning sound and blah, 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 you've got four minutes. And being, being of course, much nearer to Russia, we I think we had less warning than you, and... Uh, I, I, we didn't really have the uh, the movement for building bomb shelters under the under the front lawn. What we had was people telling us to basically hide under the stairs, or turn the bathtub upside down, or hide under the kitchen table, mm-hmm. and it'll all blow over. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I, 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 a lot of things. It's what you believe in that that you know kind of guides you through life. I mean. Uh, you know, we talk about ghosts, you know, and, and a lot of people don't believe in ghosts, and, and some people believe in spirits is different than other people in the, in the way they're brought up. I had, uh, on the morning edition, I had uh, Shaman Steve Wilson on, and he went to Peru. And now, this is a gentleman who believes that he sees spirits all the time, so that, you know, it's nothing new to him. He's constantly being bombarded. But when he went to Peru, there were no ghosts. That's that's actually something I've encountered. We did some stuff with Japanese television, and um, they, uh, and of course with with work, I've worked with a lot of Middle Eastern people, and their outlook and perspective on on ghosts, they're they're often quite surprised that we that we you know go looking for ghosts. In fact, one one um, friend of mine who's from India said to me, "Why are you looking for something that everybody knows is there?" Um, the, the Japanese uh, were astounded that we would look for something so utterly terrifying because in their culture, the the ghost or the orai um, is is something not to be you know not to be dabbled with or trifled with, um, and they'd come over to to look at these strange British people who actually go out and you know search for ghosts. 
So mm -hmm. there's huge, huge, huge cultural differences. But I'll tell you what I've been up to this week. Um, apart from yeah, but uh, before we go off on that, and, and I'll get oh, to back I to you. It's quite interesting. We're here together, so uh, I, I wanted to get back to that Peruvian thing. Oh yeah. So, anyways, he uh, he he talked to the uh, the people down there, the shamans down in uh, Peru, and some of the other people said, "Well, how come you have no spirits?" He says, "Well, we believe that when you die, you go to this mountain, and then you wait there, and then you ascend." So he went to this mountain, and he said, "Sure enough, there was the mountain was loaded with spirits." So that's where all the spirits in Peru had gone. They had gone to this mountain to wait to ascend, you know, for the gods to come down and, and pick them up and ascend them to the next level. So uh, isn't that kind of interesting? It's also kind of reminiscent from that scene in um, the Independence Day where they're all gathered on top of the buildings. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, funny, I, I, it's funny, Steve, I thought of the exact same thing. <laughs> they're all standing there saying, oh, take me home. And how'd that work out for them? <laughs> Well, we all know the ending of that film. The president saved the day together with some hick, hick crop duster um, farmer. Yeah, but you know what? That's what America is built all about. Uh, just the common people. That's what makes America great. <laughs> America the is mutt, great. The mutt, the dog. No one, nobody wants. That's the one that always saves the world, saves the day. But anyways, so anyways, what were you up to today before I uh, um, interrupted well, you? We, yeah, um, no, it, it's been, um, I've been reading an interest, rereading an interesting book. Uh, it's all about uh, exorcism and one exorcist in particular, mm -hmm. who, a guy who was active from the 1930s through to the 1970s. What was um, his name? He's the Reverend Dr. Donald Omond, um, Scottish guy, lived in the, uh, British, lived in, uh, of Scottish origin. Um, Non-Catholic? Uh, he was... No, he was Anglican. Uh, but okay. he did work with the Roman Catholic exorcist as well. Yeah. Uh, but some of the things he exercised or claimed to exercise was the Bermuda Triangle. Really? Um, the Loch Ness Monster. But perhaps one of the, the strangest stories he talks about is uh, one... He, he uh, called in to exercise a gentleman... Um, um, an Arab gentleman called Mohammed Said, mm -hmm. who claimed to have been uh, inhabited by something by a person who was a displacer of souls, um, and this the original um, person. I'm going to try and tell the story here. Was born in Paris, I think, in the 1890s. Right, um, and he then displaced him, his soul into the body of a Belgian journalist um, and then later displaced his soul again into the body of this Arab tribesman and had approached uh, the, uh, a psychiatrist, an Austrian psychiatrist, saying that uh, he, he wanted to die with the Arab. He no longer wanted to jump bodies um, and the, the psychiatrist approached Dr. Omond in order for an exorcism ritual to be performed to, to ensure that the soul stayed in the Arab body and then, and then died with him. But it's, it's, 
What's fascinating through all of these, the, the, the Bermuda Triangle case, um, the other exorcisms, and this displacer of souls, is that um, in many instances there is the uh, testimony, the signed testimony of the psychiatrist or medical uh, practitioner uh, who was also involved, and, and uh, their their belief that what actually took place or what's claimed to have taken place, um, you know, actually happened. Um, they all belong to a, a, the organisation for the investigation of physical disorders, um, which was an organisation around based in Europe in the 1970s, um, and it was a mixture of psychologists, psychiatrists, and medical. Uh, doctors from both Europe and North America, um, who and 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 indeed, of course, uh, the Exorcist. <laughs> um, again, looking at some of the other cases, he went to the Arctic Circle um, to close a, a an evil vortex. Um, really? Uh, I, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's too long a chapter to read from. But Wait, what's uh, the name of the book again, Steve? This is really interesting, actually. The book's it intrigues called, me. Yeah, the book's called To Anger the Devil. To Anger the Devil. And it's by Mark Alexander. Uh, is he still alive? Um, the Exorcist isn't, dead, uh, isn't alive any longer. He died. Um, I don't know if the author's still alive. But the book, uh, he, I mean, I, I sort of try and briefly um, sort of touch on some of the cases. One of the things he, he doesn't do uh, is he doesn't believe in, let me just... Zoom forward a little bit. Some of the stories that you read, read like Edgar Allan Poe uh, tales. You know, there's like dancing statues and that, that, that cause ships to sink and buildings to burn down. Um, but one of the chapter ten is laying a ghost, which of course is relevant to to my area of particular interest. And he says one of the common fallacies regarding exorcism is that it is largely used for banishing unwanted phantoms. Over and over, one hears about the haunted council flat or the old rectory with the semi-transparent gliding figure to which a priest is summoned to lay the ghost. However, in conversation with Dr. Omond, it I soon learned that he has no interest in this type of work and he is only likely to exercise a spectre if it is, suffering, if it is a suffering earthbound spirit exerting a malign influence or it is a manifestation which has become a focal point for the powers of evil thus if they do not endanger the living ghosts have nothing to fear from this psychic clergyman who is frequently aware of their presence and then he talks about one or two cases where he did actually uh, perform an exorcism one was on a country road where a number of uh, drivers had independently reported the naked uh, blood-spattered body of a, of a young girl, uh, which had been linked to uh, a murder that had taken place 200 years previously. And the police actually asked him to perform an exorcism um, the by, the side of, by the side of the road in order, because they were obviously concerned um, what might have happened if, if the spectre had seen by, you know, been seen by a, you know, a nervous driver. Um, and the I mean, other is, one, is, let me stop you there. Is that something yeah. that's accepted in, in the UK? The police dealing with with mediums or exorcists? Um, not not generally. No. Um, certainly, the police were called in a number of, like the Enfield case, 
Um, the first people called, almost the first people called by the family uh, because of the nature of the disturbances was the local police station. Um, and police, you know, the, the police were, in, were indeed witnesses to the events at Enfield. That's also uh, true in a number of other cases, like the famous Runcorn poltergeist, uh, which you may not have heard of over in America, but um, it, it mirrors many of the aspects of the Enfield poltergeist case. And again, the, the police were called repeatedly to the property, uh, and indeed, on a number of occasions, were witnesses to the events. But we don't seem to have psychics routinely uh, helping the police. Um, there are psychics who certainly claim that that's the case, um, but when you know they, they, they've never been able to substantiate those claims. Hmm. Um, you know, it's, just, it's kind of interesting you talk about it, as, and these are all things that I have been part of is working with the police uh, with psychics on on cases and and also uh, accompanying exorcists from the Catholic Church on official exorcisms and so I, I, I was really kind of sitting back and, and listening to what you were saying and see how it compared to uh, my own experiences so uh, I, I find that interesting I mean I know that you perhaps don't believe in either of those scenarios that are have any value, or, or am uh, I wrong? Uh, I've got to tell you, actually, that, that um, with regard the uh, exorcism side of things, particularly mm-hmm. the Catholic rite, um, you're dealing with somebody who is who is deeply interested in in um, that side of. I mean, this is a personal interest. It doesn't go into the the investigation side of it. Right, uh, right, right. If you if you recall the um, photograph in the Wall Street, Wall Street Journal of me, you might recall I was holding a a book, but behind that was a an original or is the original uh, an original copy of the Catholic exorcism ritual. Uh, and I've got quite a number of books that you know that has that. changed through the years, right? Oh yeah, this is the Latin version from sixteen yeah, okay. uh, yeah. whatever it is. That's amazing. So you um, do have that, huh? And a few years ago, I was fortunate enough to be bought and presented as a gift by my lovely wife, um, an exorcist set, um, Victorian, uh, came from North America, actually, um, from New York State, um, used by a, a Catholic exorcism or a Catholic minister who performed exorcisms. And this is a wooden box which turns into an altar, and inside the box, of course, is all his... Uh, or, or the crucifix and the platters and the salvers and all the things for the unctions and mm-hmm. um, so yeah that's and uh, you know I'm surrounded by you know not only the books but you know religious ephemera uh, so yeah miracles religious miracles and exorcisms are something that's always deeply fascinated me so chat away about exorcisms all your life. That's interesting because, you know, I had never, like I said, being brought up Catholic and, uh, uh, you know, we've always been, had that, you know, the, like the exorcists, we always think the exorcisms are like the movie Exorcist, which is, you know, they can be, but not necessarily. And the, the, 
the three that I were able to go on were, were quite different. Uh, one of them was what was called a demonic obsession. And that was what they believed that a uh, demon was actually, um, uh, what's the word, uh, like upstalking a, a person, a particular person. This was a, uh, a uh, medical professional, um, a feminine, female, and uh, the thing was definitely tormenting her. It was uh, destroying things in her uh, condominium. It was uh, uh, abusing the dog, uh, or tormenting the dog, I should say. Um, There's things like uh, spindle uh, coming out of uh, the staircase and flying across the room and hitting her in the head and, and electrical shots. Uh, wires being crossed in the walls and shot out and, and objects being moved and, um, it, it, and all that stuff. And that's why eventually the, the exorcism took place, which it was to... But, you know, the coolest thing of the whole thing is, you know, you, know you expect... Uh, to see, when you see the movie The Exorcist, you expect it's like that because you know this is you know your, sh your head spins around, you, you're spitting out uh, pea soup, and, and it wasn't like that, of course, at all. I mean, this woman was a, a, a medical professional, and uh, when they performed the exorcism, was really thing the air. The, the, I, it's so hard to describe, but the the atmosphere just totally changed it. It went from heavy to a very lighter, and it just kept going. And then there was just a huge slam, like a bang, a huge bang. And that's when the the exorcism uh, was completed. It was it was you know really interesting. How 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 did you um, did it affect you in any way? No, it didn't. I, I actually took part in it. It's, uh, myself and uh, Maureen Wood, who was the, the trans medium that I was working with, and uh, we went and we were, you know, we weren't there. We didn't do any more than just add to the prayers of the ceremony and, and do whatever was uh, requested of us. But uh, it, it was interesting. And the other interesting thing, which I found neat, was um, you heard about the Shroud of Turin, of course, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Shroud of Turin. Well, if if you uh, believe it is the the true uh, burial cross of of Christ, then the image in it, of course, would be the face of Christ. So one of the things that they did is they actually uh, had photographs of this Shroud of Turin, the, the face of it, and they were placed over all the um, or over the doors and the and the uh, windows, uh, you know, in other words, uh, to keep the, the uh, demon out, which was it was kind of interesting, too. And, and in fact, what he did is actually he had a, uh, uh, a one laminated and put on the, the collar of the dog uh, that was being tormented as well. So that, that was also intriguing. I found that very intriguing. Um, and, and the theory behind it is that evil can't look on on the face of God. Yeah, um, I find the whole thing utterly fascinating. I, I've 
just been going through through uh, some of my own um, bits and bobs because I've never been in the position of having um, personally attended an exorcist an exorcism mm-hmm. um, or rather not a religious exorcism I've been I've been in plenty of places where the medium has suddenly started to um, right right yeah that's to me it's which, different you know. yeah which I don't I don't oh my god we're up to break time so anyway sorry about that you're listening <laughs> to Ghost Chronicles International with Steve Poss and Ron Cohen we'll be right back after the following messages on Tojet Pararec Ghost Channel and beyond Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more. All in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place an oasis in this hectic world. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk ugly kooky, the Parax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parax family. They're strange, deranged, So grab your favorite brew, it's time to rendezvous, as we give awards to the Parax family. Take 6,427. All right. Hi, I'm Ron Kolek, author and lead investigator of the New England Ghost Project, New England's own Van Helsink. And I'm Ann Kerrigan, the blonde bombshell, and I'm the lead investigator of East Bridgewater's Most Haunted. And we'd like to invite you to tune in. Ghost Chronicles, the next generation. Every Wednesday night. At 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on www.toginet.com. So, so yeah, what are they going to hear on this stupid show? What are they going to hear? They are going to hear things that they can't believe are happening. Like uh, Beyond Bizarre. And Cemetery Tripping. Oh, that's your deal, right? Absolutely. Yeah, one of these days you're going to get so scared of one of these cemetery tripping things that uh, I'll have to get a new (laughs) co-host. I am brave beyond belief. Yeah, we'll see. scares me. So anyways, if you're bored and you got nothing to do on Wednesday night, tune in to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Ann and Ron. See you then. back. You are listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Mr. Parascience himself, self, Steve Parsons and New England's own Van Helsing, Ron Kolick, right here on uh, Tojanet, Parex, Ghost Channel, and beyond. So, 
you know, I, I got so interested in that, I, I totally missed the time on that. <laughs> well, that's all right. Maybe you were obsessed or possessed. It could very well be. Uh, you know, what's interesting is um, if you, I could probably get uh, um, a friend of mine who is a Franciscan monk on the show sometime if you'd like. I think that would be pretty cool. He's a cool guy, too. I mean, he actually is a paranormal investigator as well. I, I, I think that would be uh, really cool. But I was about to say before the ad break caught us, up, caught us out mm -hmm. there, I've, I've, I've got uh, a folder full of uh, handwritten letters, uh, well, some of them are typewritten, between, um, I think, uh, it, uh, the, 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 um, the person uh, was a, quite a famous U.S. journalist, Hal Jakes, um, I think I think there were something there were Hollywood reports, but I think they they died in uh, um, or were murdered. Um, I think there was some there was some something surrounding the death of the of the journalist. But it's a series of letters from uh, from that journalist uh, to the priest who was involved in the original exorcist case, mm -hmm. um, and also uh, some typewritten notes um, by Bill Blatty. Uh, handwritten and typewritten notes by Bill Blatty uh, referring to uh, these original um, tales of exorcism. But what's interesting is these actually relate to the what would have been the, the, the true sequel, um, which was Exorcist 3. Uh, yeah. And, which was the actual proper sequel to the movie, uh, The Exorcist. And mm -hmm. these, these are and it, uh, from the priest who was... Um, yeah, he's in Tennessee. Let me just try and find the name of the uh, the Father Ryan High School in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, okay. Back in back in the 70, early seventies, um, to where he'd he'd retired, um, and he was a deacon. I'm just deliberately not giving out his name here um, mm -hmm. because it wasn't the name that's always been associated with uh, the one in the. Uh, the the 1949 story, um, and he gives several other accounts of, of possessions and 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 various obsessions. Um, there's an interesting one that took place in Vietnam. Um, I can't go through them, you know, read them out obviously louder. Um, each of them is several pages long, uh, but one of them in, involves a number of U.S. Um, uh, infantry troops in Vietnam were there trapped um, on a hill surrounded by fog and then they're led to safety um, after praying they're led to safety by um, what appears to be the spirit of a French foreign legionary soldier mm -hmm. uh, who, who, who led them all out to safety and then disappeared um, he talks also about an exercise. You know, it's interesting you said that. Uh, we had Mark Nesbitt, Mark Nesbitt on the show, and he is Mr. Gettysburg. He's written about a dozen books on Gettysburg, and he talks about a battle, which I cannot remember offhand, but it was the Civil War battle, and the troops were actually uh, rallied by George Washington. The same thing that goes to George Washington. And, and, of course, we have the famous Angels of Mons in British culture. Um, yeah, you know, so so there is there is this sort of common thread throughout these uh, different stories. Um, 
Just trying to think. There's another one here. Uh, there's an Irish priest who who him got him. He was fond too fond of drink and got himself uh, possessed, and he had to be the, uh, subjected to an exorcism by the bishop. Um, yeah, it's full of full of all this stuff. Um, so yeah, I was just dra- it, it it was nearby, and so when you started talking about the exorcist case, I thought I better start. Um, dragging out something to try and find something to say. <laughs> uh, no, I think that's interesting that, that I would love to take a look at that book and uh, I'm going to have to, is that still available like an Amazon? Um, I'm guessing so. I, I, uh, my, I have my copy about two or three years, but I got it from, um, eBay or Amazon or somewhere like that. It was only a couple of dollars. Oh, wow. um, so yeah, I mean, it, it, I don't suppose it's a very difficult book to find. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, you're reading this, and you've got this guy, and you know, he 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 exercises the Loch Ness monster, and then he I know exercises. that one kind of like freaks me out. I'm not yeah. sure then about he, this that, is the problem. Know. Yeah, you see, this is the problem. He exercises the Loch Ness monster, then he goes off and exercises the Bermuda Triangle, then he goes off to the nearly the, the you know the Arctic to exercise mm-hmm. this other devil's vortex. Um, and it all sounds very, very far-fetched. But then you right. you read more and more, and you think, well, you know, there's photographs of him here doing it. These are, you know, respected psychiatrists and doctors and 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 other scientists who are who are helping him and 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 working alongside him. Um, and you know, clearly the expedition to the Arctic was funded by you know. Um, I, you know, I think at one point the Norwegian uh, Navy were involved. Um, really? You know, the governor of Bermuda, the bishop of Bermuda. Now, I, you know, you think, well, okay, the guy sounds a complete cuckoo, but why Why would all of these other people get involved? Um, you know, why wouldn't they just well, give him Well, uh, how do we really know that happened? I mean, you know, it's it's in a book, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the Norwegian naval are really happened, you know what I mean? Uh, well, that's perfectly true. So, you know, I, you'd never take anything at face value. So I did do a little bit, you know, the first time I read the book, I did do a little bit of scratching around. Oh, you did? Um, and you know the book does have accounts uh, or testimony from these other in, from from these people um, to support the to support the the book itself, and so you scratch around on the internet and look up these other people and find out you know were they real what were their beliefs did this organisation exist, and it all starts to stack up and you know it's it becomes a little bit like you know. Uh, a little bit challenging because he, the guy, you know, does come across as a bit of a cuckoo to a skeptical mind. Oh, sure, absolutely. Even um, even a non-skeptical mind. Like I said, I've gone on exorcism with, with the Catholic Church, but when you tell me he's he's exercising the Loch Ness monster in the Bermuda Triangle, I'm saying, oh yeah, I'm sure. Well, I, I should I should explain that he doesn't believe, or he didn't believe, uh, because I say he's, he's dead now, but he didn't believe. Um, that the monster itself existed as a as a creature, what he th- what he believed is it was um, a ghost, um, a force from the past, you know, reappearing um, and being seen by people, much as we see ghosts. So, he, in effect, he believed it was the ghost of uh, some, you know, creature from the past. Or, or, or is this a time slip? 
or a time slip or something. But he believed, and why he why he uh, then went on to perform the exorcism um, is that uh, people had said that anybody who or people who had encountered the the monster um, or or the spectre of the monster um, had had been affected in some way. Um, you know, they, they thought it was a, a, an evil or a, or, or a malign uh, presence. So that's mm-hmm. why he performed the exorcism. But he never believed that it was a big, you know, a big plesiosaur or anything daft like that. Um, his, his, his mission was to remove the evil, not remove the monster. Um, and indeed, in order to do it, because when he, when he was first asked to, to do it, he, he himself was very sceptical. Um, and in order to, to design the right exorcism ritual, um, he worked closely with, and this is the bit, you know, again, he sounds like a cuckoo, but the guy, the, the, the other person who, who worked on the exorcism, developing the exorcism right uh, for that, that particular task was the British uh, chief Catholic exorcism uh, priest, deliverance priest. Um, so, you, you, you know, that's... He sounds, it sounds on the face of it, you know, it would be a sceptic's delight to, you know, to try and deal with this guy. They just simply mm-hmm. write him off as being mad. Right. If he was mad, he took a lot of people along with him and he convinced a lot of people of his madness. But in many, many cases, he himself isn't the driving force. He was brought in by another expert. And many of those were psychiatrists, were medical doctors or were psychologists and were leading, you know, well-known names in their own fields. Um, so you think, well, why would they go for an exorcist? Why would they call in an exorcist? Mm-hmm. Um, and you have their statements, you know, available that, yes, indeed, um, that was the case. They did call. Uh, it, was, it was psychiatrists that called him in to exercise a young uh, Scandinavian boy who believed he was a vampire, um, and every opportunity would attack and draw blood uh, by biting people's necks. Um, and, you know, you start to think to yourself, well, is there something more beyond this? You know, we, we, accept, we accept miracles and we accept exorcisms, um, you know, but to, to the sceptical mind, are they not? Do they not sound equally incredulous? Is it how, it's true. How, much more, true. how much more incredulous is the fact that somebody's possessed by the devil than the Loch Ness monster exists? If we accept one, do you see the way this is going? Right, right, right. Well, it, the idea is that, that if you're open-minded, then you'll at least look in the possibilities if this could possibly exists or it does exist well there's a lot of people who've spent the time spent you know many many years investigating loch ness monster mm-hmm. and ogopogo and uh and, and the other lake monsters and are convinced that champ some- yep champ we have we have champ like like yeah. champagne in uh new york you know they are convinced that there is something to investigate the same as I am convinced that there is something worthy of investigation in terms of ghosts and hauntings. Mm-hmm. Um, do I, should, does that give, you know, I, we have to accept that they must have researched it, that they must have 
found something within the myth, within the legend, within the folklore, within the, the, the experiences and, and testimony of the witnesses to, to, you know, to substantiate their interest. So is it, is it right of us just to write off something because it sounds incredulous, like the Loch Ness Monster? It's a good point. It's a very good point, actually. And I, I, and to be honest with you, uh, now that you mention it, you know, it isn't as crazy as it sounds in the beginning, does it? <laughs> well, a few years ago, I, I went... Um, I, was, I was looking for a holiday destination, and I went to Loch Ness for a week. Um, and I didn't go with the intention of debunking the Loch Ness Monster or even spending that much time looking for the Loch Ness Monster. But once I, when I arrived at Loch Ness, one of the things that struck me is that given the, the scale of the loch... Now, I know you have bigger lakes over there, but uh, it's 23 miles from end to end, and it's about, at a, about a mile wide at its, at its widest point, and it's 1,000 feet deep. Um, the road... There's a road all around the lock, but it's obscured by, by trees um, from direct sight for most of its length. And it, it, we drove along the side of the lock, which it takes, it takes a good 30, 40 minutes. Um, you're watching the road, you're not really watching the lock, so there's plenty of opportunities not to see anything at all. Um, and you could, you could quite easily drive a nuclear submarine up and down that lock, and I doubt very many people would actually notice it. Um, but what what is intriguing um, and certainly um, challenging is the number of people who live and work close to the lock or indeed on the lock. Uh, they have buildings that overlook it. They have hotels, properties. They work in the fields surrounding it. They work on the shores and the fish farms that are on the lock. And many, many, many of them not only believe in the Loch Ness Monster have all had their own first-person sighting of the Loch Ness Monster. And whilst I was there for the first week, I must have spoken to 40 or 50 people who had all had a sighting. Um, now, do you dismiss them all as, as being mad or playing to the tourist dollar? Um, or is this actually something in Loch Ness that is worth investigating? So a year or so later, I, I, we went back again for another week, this time with the avowed purpose of spending some time looking for the Loch Ness Monster. Needless to say, we didn't see anything. But right. it was the fact that during that week, we were, there were two of us who spent the week. And every day from, uh, for two hours at, around dawn and two hours around dusk, we set up cameras and, and, and binoculars on a vantage point. And... We realised uh, as we as we drove around and as we uh, sort of spent the weeks there, we were actually the only two people looking. And there really? must have been there must have been you know every day we saw a thousand American tourists, five hundred <laughs> Japanese tourists, you know, a thousand tourists from Europe, a thousand British holidaymakers, um, but we were the only two people who were who were looking, and. You really could, you know, there were fishing boats going up and down, there were pleasure craft, but you could put a nuclear submarine into Loch Ness. Because it's that large, yeah. Yeah, and 
people just don't look. We live in a we live in a bubble. These you know nowadays, um, there were a lot more sightings in the thirties, forties, and fifties because people tended to a drive more slowly. Um, B, the trees were a lot... Well, they effectively weren't there. The, the authorities have allowed trees to grow up between the, the road and the lockside. Um, but we... It's like with ghost hunting. People are just not used to sitting in the dark anymore. You know, we have the lights on 24-7. We have the right. internet running 24-7. We have sound and people... You know, if you turn the lights off... Um, and it's an experiment that we've done endlessly on investigations... Um, you put somebody in a familiar place uh, um, that they're used to and that they're comfortable with and the lights are on and they're, they're no problem at all and just turn the lights off and leave them for five minutes and they scare the bejesus out of themselves. Every normal chair or, or item of furniture becomes a menacing shape or shadow and that's because we're just not used to sitting in the dark anymore and being on our own without all of this electronic or, or you know, internet stimulus right in reality there is not much dark left in the world i i remember uh, watching this program where they uh has scale of darkness and you really have to go to like the remote regions to get anywhere near uh the darkness that's required because um the cities throw off so much light uh, all the homes throw off light, uh, you know, street lamps, everything else. If, if you look from space, it's, it's really not a, a dark world anymore. It's a very light world. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, I mean, I live in a rural area, you know, nearest town is five miles away, and so we do have very dark skies, but there is still an awful lot of light around. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know... We look back over the you know, sort of the history of ghost hunting, um, and people were having experiences because I think you know they lived by candlelight, by gaslight. They went, they didn't have the distractions that we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would they would sit of an evening, perhaps read a book. They went to bed when it was dark. They got up when it when it was light. Um, you know, we don't sit quietly anymore. We've got the TV on. We've got the internet running. We're on Facebook. We're not really, uh, or are we really that in tune with our surroundings any longer? I don't mean psychically, but, you know, we just don't notice things anymore. Um, right. And it, when people go into these uh, on a ghost investigation, and when you do go into you know, areas where it's darker or where you just have to sit quietly even if the lights are on. There's, you know, the, the, it, it's an alien environment to people nowadays and so, you know, it's not really any wonder that they, they get a bit scared and a bit frightened. Mm, I agree. Have we just got one from the Loch Ness Monster to Ghosts and that wasn't bad, was it? Yeah, not bad, but um, I actually have to play a bit now. Uh, my good friend, uh, West Coast Witch, Mahler Brooks, um, She has created a series of uh, CDs, and one of them is on uh, Yule time, and it goes gives you some pagan uh, Yule music, and it also goes back to some of the uh, pagan uh, origins of some of the Christian uh, things that we accept for Christmas. So, if we have that uh, little promo bit, can we play that now? Go on then. Maybe not. 
everybody. Well, once again, the holiday season is upon us, and it's time to celebrate. But what exactly are we celebrating? In modern times, we call this time of year the Yuletide season. And going back thousands of years before Christianity, it was indeed Yule that everybody was celebrating. And in truth, there are many similarities between Yule and Christmas. Yule is the pagan celebration of the winter solstice, usually around the 21st and 22nd of December. Christmas is a Christian-based and sometimes secular holiday, which is based on the birth of Christ on December 25th. Christmas takes on many of its traditions, like wassail, trees, wreaths, gifts, colors, and more, from the Yule celebration itself. Yule celebrates the birth of the sun god. Christmas celebrates the birth of the son of God. So there you go. It's just a little promo bit from uh, my good friend, uh, Marla Brooks. It's a nice CD. It has uh, the old, some of that pagan music on there. Or, it almost sounds British to me, but anyways. Uh, and also it goes in and looks at some of the similarities of uh, Yule uh, versus Christmas. So it's, it's kind of neat. If you go to our website, malabrooks.com, com, uh, you can actually purchase the app. So anyways, think, did that sound think- uh, uh British to to you, uh, Stephen. Um, the music was I can't remember the title of it. I think it's a French carol. Oh, it is. Yeah, I think it's a French one. Um, uh, I, I think uh, somebody somebody in the chat room might correct might might help us out here in a minute. But it does. I think that's a French carol. Uh, if it, I remember by my, my do you are you a happy holidays man or a happy Christmas? Merry Christmas. Yeah, very merry thank, Christmas person. Yeah, thank, yeah. I was going to say thank God for that. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. Growing, growing up, um, I used to love, I still love Christmas music. In fact, uh, when I got married, I had to promise my wife that I would never play uh, Christmas music before Thanksgiving. And, and I've kept that uh, promise for 40 years. So, um, But yeah, I love Christmas trees. And, and this year I'm doing renovations in my house, so I can't do any of my decorating. So I, what I did is I went out and bought a, uh, a real... Uh, potted Christmas tree, which is, is probably about uh, 20 inches tall and, and got little ornaments and a little set of lights and decorated, and I've got it up on a, uh, a like a table, and, and that's going to be my Christmas tree, unfortunately, this year because of the renovations. But, uh, yeah, I love Christmas. What about you, Steve? Uh, very much. Um, bit, well, it's more so than, than in previous years because now we've got the little news two and a half, so uh, oh, obviously... Cute. So, you know, obviously things are a bit more lit up than usual. And, uh, but now we've got the lights in the windows and the lights on the tree, two trees. Um, but no, it's just this, it's starting to creep in over here. Uh, some of the local you know, school children and are now calling them holiday trees. Oh, I hate that. Oh, I People are wishing each other happy holidays and... Mm. You know, there's actually now available. You can get happy uh, ho- happy holiday cards instead of Christmas cards. Well, and you just want to shout you. out, "It's Christmas! It's not holidays!" It's Christmas, you bloody idiot! That's the one. I, you can <laughs> swear I couldn't, but uh, yeah, it, it's it's stop hijacking Christmas. G- give it back. Exactly. Give it back to, give it back to Sandy Claus. Yeah. You know, we don't know a lot about. I mean, we about in, here in the states about the UK Christmas because it, it it varies a little bit about. It. I mean, we have just what we know from like the Christmas Carol and stuff like that. I mean, you know, for instance, what is Boxer Day and and how is how do you celebrate Christmas? 
Okay. We only get about like two minutes. And that was the pizza bell. Should we do yeah. a show on Christmas next week then? Do you want to? Why not? Christmas okay, is so... the time for ghosts and ghost stories. Historical. All right, we we can uh, do that. We will go into Christmas and ghosts and ghost okay. stories. Uh, that was the uh, pizza delivery, which means we've got to wrap up the show. So uh, anything you would like to mention, uh, your website is always good. Um, yeah, it's www.parascience.org.uk. And don't mistake us with mixes up with anybody else with a similar sounding name. Now there's a couple of others out there that are pinching our name. Really? Um, so, yeah, we'll we'll do Christmas next week, then. Okay, that will do. And uh, also, I'd like to uh, mention my website, which is inneghostproject.com, the letter N, the letter E, ghostproject.com. And uh, I, I want to mention, too, that another semester of my paranormal CSI starts in January, end of January, uh, at Northern Essex Community College and uh, gives you the information how you can sign up for that, which is it's an interesting course. It's, it, course, it's all about uh, thinking like a, par- a CSI, but applying it to the paranormal. So it's kind of a, a neat way of doing it. I want some of the neat gadgets that they've got on CSI. One of those big glass walls that, you know, they just point at and stuff happens and those oh, magic torches. Why do they never turn the lights on when they go into a crime scene in CSI? Why do they always have to have torches? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I've got enough to worry about what I'm doing. <laughs> 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 always, it always baffled me that question. Every time, you know, every time they go into a crime scene, day, night, doesn't matter. They never put the lights on. They just get the torches out. Turn the lights on. Maybe it's, I don't know. I don't know. I really don't know. Maybe I, 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 can only, I can only guess. You know, I can only guess why they do it that way. But oh, anyways, I mean, you guys, uh, we have lots of TV shows, but uh, to me, my favorite shows are the ones from uh, the UK, and, and then we're just about out now, but uh, Inspector Lewis, Inspector Morris. Oh, yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Great shows, you know, no no great special effects, just tremendous act, acting and great plots. It's just awesome. <laughs> so anyways, time to wrap it up. So we have to say good night and God bless to everyone. See you next week. From goalies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.